believe it or not this is always the hardest part of the show for me like I, I really i hate i hate having to introduce a show like i always feel uncomfortable like i always feel like i sound weird i always feel like i always say it wrong like i'm always stuttering or something always going i don't know i just hate doing it but nonetheless thank you for coming back thank you for everybody who's listened to all six episodes thank you to everybody that's been here since day one it's only the beginning welcome back to the king bentley podcast i'm your host darnell and now today's episode i'm joined by bleach reports june lee he's a staff writer over at bleach report and you know we sat down and discussed his experience covering the world series we spoke a little bit about sports media and the current state of that you know it's always something interesting going on in, in, in the world of these big sports brands sports media companies i should say excuse me and we also talked spoke a little nba but that conversation was recorded on thursday which means we missed one of the biggest stories this weekend in sports yes we did and this kind of caught me by surprise granted we all knew jimmy butler was going to get traded but i didn't expect the Sixers to pull up and snag him like that i didn't expect that so as i was in church on saturday I got a little, I checked my phone. I usually don't check my phone in church while the sermon's going on. I'm trying to pay attention. And I, 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 I glanced at my phone real quick and I saw that the Sixers traded for Butler. So I, I immediately indulged. Lord forgive me. And I, I took a couple of days to just think about it. A couple of days being Saturday and Sunday. And I came up with a couple of, couple of I, drew, I drew a couple of conclusions, I should say. I came to a couple of conclusions after seeing this trade. Now, if you haven't heard already, the Sixers sent Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Jared Bayless, and a 2022 second-round pick to the Timberwolves for Jimmy Butler and um, Justin Patton. But we're going to just focus on Jimmy Butler. Because Justin, yeah, we're just going to focus on Jimmy Butler. Now, none of the players that they traded were named Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. None of the players that they were traded are going to be future All-Stars. Knock on wood. And none of the players that they traded could create their own shot or close out games for them. And Philly just got a player named Jimmy Butler who covers all of those gaps, who fills all of those gaps, right? Jimmy Butler can create his own shot, and he's going to be the closer that Philly's been looking for and needed over this entire trust the process ever. So prior to seeing them play, first glance on paper, Philly won the straight. They didn't really give up much outside of the fact that they lost two of their best three-point shooters. We'll get to that later, though. They didn't really give up much in my eyes. They didn't really lose much in this trade in my eyes to get back one of the top three two-way players in the league. So, with that being said, what does this mean for the Sixers going forward? Both Ben and Jimmy are players. Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler are players that need the ball in their hands. So, it's inevitable that they're going to limit each other's touches. But, if I'm Brett Brown to combat that... I played Jimmy Butler off the ball. If you remember Jimmy Butler in Chicago, early Jimmy Butler, young Jimmy Butler, probably about the first three years in the league, Jimmy Butler was a player who strictly played off the ball, continuously slashed to the basket, cut to the basket, and he was able to knock down open jumpers and and um, sneak past defenses in the back door and get to the basket and score easy layups. So with Ben Simmons' court vision and passing ability, I think him and Jimmy Butler work just fine on the offensive end. Like I said, they do both need the ball in their hands, but you can combat that by just throwing Jimmy Butler off the ball. Listen, it wasn't too long ago that he was playing like that. As a matter of fact, in Minnesota, he still ran a lot of sets where he was playing off the ball and cutting and slashing and setting off ball screens and popping out to knock down corners. He could do all of that. And Ben Simmons is the perfect point guard to match him with because he will always see to it that Jimmy Butler gets the ball in the spots that he needs it. With that being said, that's going to require Brett Brown to cut to teach his team how to cut and move out the ball. I hate watching Philly games and seeing Joel Embiid bang on the block and nobody's moving off the ball. Like, that's a recipe for disaster. You know how many possessions they've wasted because if Joel Embiid doesn't score down low, nobody gets the ball because nobody was cutting, nobody was moving? They're going to have to limit those amount of wasted possessions. And I feel like adding a savvy cutter to, to the bunch like Jimmy Butler they will be able to salvage a lot of those wasted possessions that already took place this season. So I'm really banking on Brett Brown to do that. I'm hope I'm not. I'm really hoping I'm not asking too much. But yeah, Joel, Joel Embiid is one of the better big men in the league. He's probably what easily top three big men in the league. He can score on anybody down low, and it's going to be a lot of nights where he's demanding a lot of double teams. With that being said, having Jimmy Butler off the ball, constantly moving and cutting to the basket, a lot of open, a lot of easy possessions, and a lot of um, easy baskets for Jimmy Butler. So I really hope Brett Brown implements that to the offense somehow. And it's going to be very interesting to see how 
Jimmy Butler meshes in the locker room with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Now, I wouldn't expect him to, you know, be upset, or I wouldn't expect him to rattle Jimmy, not Jimmy Butler, what's his name? I wouldn't expect him to rattle Ben Simmons and um, Joel Embiid the way he rattled Carlton Towns and Andrew Wiggins. After all, Jimmy Butler was really upset because of their passiveness, not because they challenged him. He was upset because they were passive, that's it. And Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are two guys that constantly work very hard. They're both big personalities, and I think they'll get along just fine simply because, like I said, they're not two passive players like Carlton Towns and, and Andrew Wiggins was. The only, the only slight issue that I see, I remember over the summer when uh, Brett Brown was acting as interim GM for the team, he said that the Sixers just needed another star. And Joel Embiid didn't really like that. Right after he responded and said, we don't need another star because we have me and I can take this team as far as it needs to go. And I must say, he's, he's, he's kept up his word because Joel Embiid came back in way better shape this year. He's playing phenomenal, and he's looking like he's about to play at least 70 games this year. So I'm very, very happy to see that. I'm very proud of him for that. This is a guy who battled a lot of injuries early on in his career, and he's looking pretty durable. He's looking he's looking like he grew out of that little injury phase, the same way Steph Curry did early on with them ankle issues. And not to mention, Coffee Towns and Andrew Wiggins were terrible on defense. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons actually played defense. You add Jimmy Butler to that mix, who's one of the better lockdown defenders in the league. And now that only elevates Philly's already top 10 defense in the league so ultimately all in all Philly gave up two of their best three-point shooters and I'm really hoping that their front office is, is keeping a close eye on that buyout market to see if they can snag a player prior to the postseason but this was a very very huge risk for Philly to take because there's no guarantee that Jimmy Butler will sign with them next season although they're saying that they're leading towards signing him you can say that now because LA thought the same thing about Paul George. LA thought Paul George was about to just pull up and come play LeBron. You can say that now. But when next summer comes, you have to make sure you secure Jimmy Butler. Because if not, then he'll just be a very expensive rental. If not, you would have just given up two of your best three-point shooters on an already bad three-point shooting team to rent a player for a year only for him to walk. So Philly has to do everything in their power, everything in their power to keep Jimmy Butler. And if I'm Jimmy Butler, me personally, I'm doing well, I'm staying. Because why go back over why go, why go back west? The East is much easier. Although the East got the East got way better with Jimmy Butler. With Jimmy Butler coming to the Philly to the Sixers, the East got way better. But why go back out west and play tough basketball every night where you can just play for a young and upcoming team like the Philadelphia 76ers? Where their best, where their two best players, their two best young stars aren't even 24 yet. They haven't even reached their prom yet. If I'm Jimmy Butler, I'm staying. And I'm riding out with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid as long as possible. But all in all, like I said, this was a very big risk for the Philadelphia 76 to take. But it was a necessary risk for them to take. Because to be frank, to be quite frank, they didn't get any better last season from last season. So things have to get done. One last story I want to touch before moving on to our conversation with June Lee is um, the Des Bryant situation out in New Orleans. It's very unfortunate to see him to rupture his Achilles right after signing that contract. Very unfortunate. This is a guy who, who believes he still had it. He believes that he could still be an, uh, positive, bring a positive impact to an NFL franchise. And when he finally got the opportunity, it sucks to see him get that opportunity and not be able to play now that he ruptured his Achilles. The only positive is at least he'll get that back. At least he'll get it back for sitting on the bench. But keeping Des Bryant in our prayers and um, I'm wishing him all the best moving forward. But here's our conversation with Jim Lee. You're listening to the King Bentley Podcast. So I'm here with my man June Lee of Bleach Report. What's up? So How's it going? I'm going good, man. I can't complain. I really do appreciate you coming out today. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. So let's let's get right to it. We don't have much time today. Let's talk about the World Series. Yeah. I know it was your first time covering the World Series. It was Series. my first time covering the World Series. What was that experience like? It was pretty surreal on a multitude of levels. Mm-hmm. You know, I have I grew up in Boston, so baseball has kind of always been my number one. Okay. The Red Sox kind of rule Boston in a weird way, uh, even though, you know, the Celtics and the Patriots are have been great for, for years. The yeah, I'm, I'm jealous of Boston and all y'all sports, sports teams. <laughs> like, I'm a Knicks guy. I'm a, not even Knicks. I'm a New York fan all yeah. across the board, and we're just totally all across the board from Rangers hockey to Islanders this year to Knicks basketball to Nets to trash. Totally. I just hate it, but. I'm jealous of you Boston guys. Yeah, it's uh it's eleven championships in fifteen years. Don't brag. Something insane like <laughs> Why that. Why is he bragging? Why is he bragging? <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, so I mean I grew up a huge Red Sox fan um in, in Boston uh-huh. and 
just kind of sweet serendipity, the, the whole thing worked out where I was kind of following my favorite team into the World Series. And that was something I didn't necessarily expect to happen, mm-hmm. especially with uh, the Yankees in the first round. And I thought the Yankees were going to beat them in, in the DS yeah. and, the, and then the Astros. And I thought the Astros were the best team in baseball throughout mm-hmm. the course of the year. I thought I actually thought the Dodgers were the best uh, team in baseball throughout the whole year. Yeah, they were. And I little, thought the I thought the Dodgers. Were I mean, get they, you. I ain't going front. I mean, they they they've got a lot of talent. Uh, the Dodgers had a lot of talent. I think they were just a bit a bit inconsistent uh, throughout the course of the season. But mm-hmm. I mean, it it was really surreal because I just didn't really know what to expect going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I'd never been to like a Super Bowl or an NBA Finals. I've been I've been doing the sports reporting thing for two years now. Two years and. Two years in the game. Where'd you start? Uh, I'm BR. I, I graduated from college and I started straight out of BR sure, and I did BR. a ton of freelance writing before that and a bunch of internships before that. But mm-hmm. uh, this was my first opportunity covering the World Series and it was it was really weird to be there, you know, like not watching the games <laughs> on yeah. TV because actually being a media member, right? Having media and, and like and and to be like I, I was there when the Red Sox clinched the division and mm-hmm. I was in the locker room for the champagne celebration. Like Goals. that within itself was like. Really fucking bizarre. Yeah, just to it, I, like I felt like Forrest Gump in that e- moment. Even in the you know? pictures, you look like you were you weren't even surprised. You weren't even you haven't even realized. But I also had to time. do my job, so it was like <laughs> balancing. It was balance. It was between balancing like being a fan. And yeah, being, being a fan a and, and and trying to enjoy the moment, and but also you know I have to do my job and collect my quotes and get my story <laughs> done and 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 get my notes in my notebook. And so trying to balance all of that was like very fun and very weird. And mm-hmm. so you know. For example, the seven, the, the eighteen inning baseball game, the game that lasted seven and a half yeah, that hours, shit was crazy. It was crazy. It that was absolutely was nuts. And, and so I had to. I was in front of my computer and just like, kind of dreading having to be at the ballpark for thirteen hours. But that was. It was one of the most memorable. But I mean, where else would you want to be? Exactly. For 13 hours, exactly. So it's like, you try to find the balance. Like, part of me wants to go to bed, but part of me is like, Yo, <laughs> Yo I'm at the World Series. I'm right at now. the fucking World Series, and. Uh, I'm never going to have an experience where I get to watch an 18-inning World Series game exactly. ever again, fingers and crossed. And on top of that, you're going to be able to say I was at... Was that the longest World Series game? It was the longest World Series I game of all time. Exactly. Exactly. So to be to, just to be able to say that was pretty awesome. It, I mean, the whole experience was just me kind of pinching myself because you, you would look around and you just see like like random important people from baseball mm-hmm. like you'd look you'd look at and see Reggie Jackson or uh or the commissioner of baseball Rob Manfred mm-hmm. or sometimes you you know I, I saw Pat Sajak at, at Dodger <laughs> Stadium I was like this is the most random That's real LA shit though right, you think about it's, it's, it's the most LA Sajak. shit ever but like it, it was the most it, it was just so random just to see Pat Sajak there and then you, mm-hmm. then you hear about like Lady Gaga's and the commissioner and the commi- suite word. with with Joe Torre did you or, see Magic Johnson in Dodger Stadium yeah you, it's impossible to miss him especially if you're looking <laughs> on the field he's six foot seven and yeah. he's huge uh, and so just to see like all of the star and celebrity that used, that's kind of came together to watch baseball which mm-hmm. is not nor- normally something that happens throughout the course of the regular season exactly was awesome it was playoff, re- playoff baseball and, and regular season baseball are definitely two totally different, two totally different, different animals and, and, and way the, worse than, than um the way worse than the comparison between NFL not NFL NBA regular season and, and right NBA and, and and the thing that I love about playoff baseball is that the rules the kind of the rules change like the way that people manage change there's so much more urgency in what way how would you how would you describe that the well, urgency in, in, in managing playoff baseball game opposed to regular season well you've seen the last couple of years with just people going to relievers so early and people feeling more desperate like they're every single pitch has some sort of meaning to it mm-hmm. and like if you're watching baseball closely like there's a lot of ways to watch baseball right you, you can watch baseball by going to the ballpark and just you know chilling out talking to your friends and it doesn't really matter on a pitch by pitch basis mm-hmm. or you can go to the ballpark and care about every single pitch the strategy behind every single pitch and so there's so many different ways to watch the sport but especially in the playoffs that pitch by pitch intensity goes up tenfold because yeah. every single pitch matters. See, I probably wouldn't be able to focus at a playoff baseball game because when I go to baseball games, I'm the first person. I'm the guy that's there watching a couple of pitches and me chopping up my friends. While Which I'm is there. totally cool and mm-hmm. a great way to watch the sport. But the reason I love playoff baseball is that every single pitch has an intention behind it. Every single pitch has some and sort of strategy behind exactly. who, what type of pitch you throw. And when. so when I, when I, when people tell me that baseball is boring, which it can be during the course of the regular season, when it's the I middle agree. Of, I'm one of those people who what, say baseball's boring when it's the middle of July and it's 80, 90 degrees and you're sweating your balls exactly. off. Like and it, you it, much it, rather watch summer league basketball, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just calling it what it is. Um, I tell them to watch playoff baseball because there's, there's so much more at stake. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see who the st- true stars are. People really come out in the postseason and, and really reveal their true colors. And it's just 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 that pitch by pitch intensity is just so much fun. There's n- it's it's like the, the way I talk I like to talk about baseball is like it's a it's like a symphony. Mm. Everything is building up to this moment. So 
every like every pitch, everything is building up in intensity until like you know a, a big pitch a big pitch needs to be made by the pitcher or or the hitter needs to get a big hit. A big hit. And when that big moment that all of that anxiety is just suddenly released when the result happens. Mm-hmm. And like that's why baseball great is great in my opinion. And that's why I I've been coming uh I've become a much bigger soccer fan the last couple of years is because mm. I've become I've begun to understand that soccer is kind of building up towards that big moment which is a goal. That's that's how and I feel it, about it's a diff- now. it's a different way about watching sports. It's different from basketball which is more instant gratification or football yeah. which is like you see a big hit, you see you see a great catch more like play to play. It's much more play to play. Baseball and soccer and hockey are kind of everything is building towards, towards a big, a big moment. And and that's a different way to watch sports and I I think that's you know, part of why people don't necessarily watch in the U.S. at least baseball as much as they used to. And ironically, you said that about um, hockey and, and soccer. I'm starting to build a different appreciation for hockey more because I'm working with a lot more hockey games. Totally. Now. And um, hockey's I, great. Hockey's. I'm not gonna lie. Hockey live is fucking I was, awesome. Yo, I have to go to a hockey game. I've yet to go to a hockey Dude. game. Yeah. And I was telling my coworkers, I didn't. I need to figure out. Before the end of the season, I gotta go to a hockey game. Yeah. And at first, like I said, I'm a basketball guy. I like basketball. Totally. That was my first love. But as I started watching more hockey and working these games, I'm like. Yo, there's this, this a little, there's an art to this hockey thing. Yeah. Like you said, it, it's, it's a buildup of things. Right. And on top of the fact that most times the, the, the final score is like 3-2. Right. You have to really pay attention and, and you and have to really be on point. Exactly. And that's the thing that I think, I don't think people in America get about soccer is that like even if the score is 0-0, it, even though there was no, you know, technical scoring, there's it's all about, going on. it's a lot about building on. up to these moments that that's don't pay that's off. That's a fact. That's and a fact. that's awesome. Uh, college hockey is, you know, I, I went to two colleges that were huge college hockey mm-hmm. schools, and just going to those games and the culture that surrounds the game, obviously, like, most of the players are white, and so there's not a ton of diversity there, yeah. which, which sucks. That's, that sucks, but I feel like it's a white man's game, and that's fine. Totally, but there's so much, there, going to a hockey game is so much fun, because people fly up the ice, the hard yo, hits. I, yo, I said the other day, I said, the athleticism that these hockey players have is ridiculous. Being able to skate backwards and forwards. Dude, their bodies are just broken. Like... <laughs> People talk about how concussions are terrible in the NFL. Yo, they're watch just, a hockey game. They're just as bad watch in the NHL. Now, imagine having to do what you're doing in the NFL on ice, on skates, right. inline skates at that. Right. I couldn't skate Dude, pe- people are being sandwiched between a fiberglass board and a, an actual human who weighs it, 250 pounds, you know? Fuck that. People are, are flying into the goalie at like... 20 plus miles an hour. Right. I would never be able to do that. And, and they, they can't, goalies can't even defend themselves. Exactly. That, that shit is crazy. Also, you're flying, you're like, you're playing a sport with knives literally on your feet. Which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like we, there's been a couple instances where like goalies have gone cut in the neck, crazy. and like holy shit, like I would that's, never. That's be able why to they do wear that. the protective mask exactly. that comes all the way down and cover the neck. But like that stuff now. is terrifying. That shit is crazy. Yeah, that shit is crazy. One question about um, covering a game, like going to the game as a as a um, media member. I've been to a game with media credentials before, totally. but I never to report on a game. So how do you balance going to a game? Not only going to a game, but going to a game where your team, your favorite team is playing. Totally. A big moment like the World Series. How do you balance having to get your quotes, get all the information that you need to get while still enjoying the game and enjoying the experience that it is? It's really interesting because I think this this kind of touches on a bigger picture discussion of the evolution of what a sports reporter is and, mm-hmm. and biases and stuff. Oh, yeah, we, yeah we, can get, we, can, we can have that conversation. Yeah, and, and I've had this conversation a lot because, you know, I grew up in Boston I'm, and I've always been kind of a big diehard Boston sports fan mm-hmm. and I've never been afraid to hide it because everyone has their biases in one form or another so you might as well just put it all up front and let people kind of gauge their opinion based off knowing where you stand, right? Facts. And I, so, I agree, I agree. At least let me know what you're coming in exactly. with before so, we so, have So you can recalibrate how my, my approach exactly Simple. and and where you stand in relation to me so mm-hmm. like you can take something i say you know about a boston athlete at, at a certain face value or, or you can kind of recalibrate your brain to f- figure out otherwise and that's fine i everyone has their biases and i think it's more dishonest uh from a media perspective to not tell your audience where you stand uh and so for me yeah, I, I never understood the idea of well i understood the idea of media members having to be neutral Totally. But at least, like, at the end of the day, we're all human. Nobody's right. 100% new. Right. And so, and so f- for me specifically, like, I'm covering these guys on a, if if I'm covering these guys on a day-to-day basis, like, my relation, my relationship to the team is very, very different because it's much more of a business transactional relationship. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm in the fortunate position of being more of a feature magazine writer, and so I don't, I'm not necessarily covering a beat. I'm not a beat writer for... One of the local newspapers so, so what's the, or the what, athletic or something. Your, how does your approach change when you're, uh, you said you're a beat magazine? Well, how does your approach change? For me, it's like I'm always looking out for stories. So I, I'm always looking to try to... For narratives. For 
No, not necessarily narratives. I'm, I'm looking out to try to find real moments out of athletes because I think sports is such an interesting platform and, and way to look at the world and, and people and how people Agreed. interact with each Agreed. other. Because you see the interaction of so many different cultural backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds and financial backgrounds. Everybody puts their differences aside. Right. And and everyone and comes, comes together, together. And, and can learn learn from each other. Exactly. And so uh, it, it, sports puts people in extreme positions of money, fame, power, whatever. All that. And, and it's I think it's just really interesting to see how those things affect people mm-hmm. and how uh, how people react to those situations of extreme pressure, fame, money and, and what that reveals about us as people and, and how we how we interact with our, uh, you know, interact with certain situations or react to certain situations or or whatever. I think sports becomes such an interesting medium to to talk about all of that. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you said that. I said narratives and you corrected me. You said you're there for real stories right. about real people. Because it's so easy That's to follow. I hate about sports media now. It's too many narratives. Right. Too many bullshit ass narratives of that. I hate that about sports media now. Yeah. I mean, like. You go on ESPN, and I feel like there's always it's clickbait. There's always, I mean, that that's kind of the the that's kind of the the, the culture we're in now, though. Really, well, it's also part of the double edged sword of of being in an environment where media is dependent on ad money to 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 make money to be profitable. Because because in an idealistic world, uh, media organizations are not tied to money, and they're just pursuing the truth, right? <laughs> yeah, and like that's the, but not not in a capitalistic society. Exactly, exactly. And so when you're doing that, you have to get eyeballs and mm-hmm. like and one of the best ways to do it is by pushing narratives by by creating storylines that don't necessarily exist uh and and trying to get eyeballs i mean and, that, and that's what a lot of these like loud screaming talking head shows are about and whether or not you take those seriously is up, to, up you. to you right but, exactly but, but I th- you gotta understand that the average consumer doesn't look at it like that the average consumer is watching sports media they're watching these loud talk head shows these debate shows and they're taking everything at face value look i love Stephen a smith I think Stephen A. Smith is like one of the oh, most. Try lightning. I think Stephen A. Smith <laughs> is one of the most talented people at just talking. Exactly. There's nobody better at, at delivery. Talk, period. At talking and delivery. And not even that. He knows. His, he knows his shit. He knows absolutely. On, knows all across shit. the board. Absolutely. He, and he, that dude clearly works his ass off. It's a fact. But whether or not you want to take his opinion seriously oh, as butt. the end all be all yeah. is totally up to you. Uh-huh. For me, when I watch when when first take is kind of on and silent in the office or I see a clip on social media, mm-hmm. I look towards Stephen A. Smith to be entertained. I don't look <laughs> towards him to get the most cogent, uh hardcore Factual, analytical yeah. basketball analysis. Like that's why I go to someone like Zach Lowe for or Howard my colleague Howard Beck, who's mm-hmm. you know one of the best basketball writers in this country. Uh I, I that's that's I don't look to Stephen A. Smith to get um you know, sharp, just, uh, sharp commentary on on, on, on who's on basketball. It's, exactly. more so, it's more so color. It's more so color. Commentary. Exactly, and like you got to find the balance between that because I think that part of sports media is like you you want to uncover the truth and you want to and uncover you know great human stories, but also it's sports at the end of the day. So you have to be yeah, entertaining. And to, a, to a certain extent, I feel like um, being one one of the bigger reasons or one of the bigger beefs that I have with sports media is the fact that a lot of the guys who are not covering the game. Are much older than the players playing. Totally, yeah. So they, they That's a huge even, problem. They, they I can't think. understand or relate to the players on totally. the field or on the court. So it's like when I see guys, and I respect Colin Cowherd a lot and I love him, but when I see guys like Colin Cowherd constantly criticizing Lonzo and Kuzma for going back at each other on social media, it's like, yo, these kids are 20 years old. They're 20 year old millionaires. Right. What do you expect them to do? This right. is regular for a 20 year old. If he wasn't a Los Angeles Laker, they would be doing this. Also, just people, I think a lot of, uh, you know, not to take like a shot in older guys in the media, but also just like they don't know what we're listening to. They don't know what video games we're playing. They don't know what we're watching on TV. They're out of touch. Right, out of touch, and like out of being out of touch is not necessarily you know, f- you can be older and be in touch. You, you just got to put in the effort. A lot of people just don't. Oh, you know, you know, an easy way to do it is too. Granted, they probably you might feel as though somebody that's in their twenties or in their early thirties isn't fit to be on a show where they're the only person. Oh, they they're not fit to host their own show. They're not fit to totally. be on television. I understand that. Now, what you do to supplement that is you get younger producers. You get right. younger people behind the cameras to now produce and put these shows together. See, this is like one of my biggest problems with sports media in general. Is like, why aren't like why aren't the people who co- are covering the athletes more representative of the demographics of the game? And that's true, especially in baseball. It's true in basketball. It's true in football. You know, you is football is what 65 percent black. Mm-hmm. Basketball is like eighty five percent black. Why aren't the media? Uh, members representing that or at least come closer to representing it. Mm-hmm. you know it's like 
for example, like so, I when uh, Mookie Betts was in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. he, he was one of the top prospects in baseball, top prospect with the Red Sox. I went down to him uh, in Pawtucket and talked to him, and you know the room was full of like middle aged white guys who have been at the local <laughs> Pawtucket newspaper for years, for years, and never really left that area either. And how are they supposed to relate to a nine twenty year old burgeoning superstar from Nashville, Tennessee, who's black? Like they it can't. Makes no sense. They they can't. And so like. You know, I, I remember I went out to Mookie and we, we just like started talking about like hip hop. And like I talked about how much I love Kanye and Biggie and I'm from, you know, just East Coast rap. Yeah. And, uh, and he was talking about stuff from Atlanta and in the South. And I was talking to him about Chance the Rapper. And this was when Chance was like starting to bubble, to, up, to with bubble ad, up a little bit with acid rap. And, yeah, that was and, early Chance, early Chance. Right, re, right. And before Coloring Book. And yeah. uh, and I remember Mookie had no idea who Chance was. And mm-hmm. so I was like, hey, you should check him out. And like two years later, you see Mookie bets with a Chance 3 hat. It's like, you know, you live for, you live was, for shit like that. Well, like, <laughs> I was just able to talk to him about hip-hop in a way. Uh, you were able to find a common ground, which most people aren't willing right, to Right, and, and also just, like, find a way to, like, gain credibility for myself with him because, like, he knew that I was real from that moment on. So every every single time I see him now, even though he's, he's one gonna of the best— He's going to show love. He's going to He's you. one of the best players in baseball. He doesn't have to— he doesn't have to give any time of day uh, to a specific media member anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, he always, you know, every single time I see him, like, he gives me a dap and he says, what's up? How are you doing? And that's all because, like, I was able to try to connect with him before he got super famous on, like, a human level about, like, what is home like? What what kind of music do you listen to? What kind of movies, TV shows do you watch? Interesting you said on a human level. I think a lot of people tend to forget and realize that at the end of the day, these athletes are humans just right. like you and I. Totally. They're superhumans to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, they're totally, just but like they, you and they I. They still have their problems, you know? Like, I, I wrote this story about Xander Bogarts at the World Series, mm-hmm. and it was about how him and his dad had been estranged for 23 years. And, like, I've had a relationship with the Bogarts family for six-plus years now. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason they told me that story is because, like, I... You knew them personally. And and they knew that I understood where they were coming from and uh, and 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 kind of how hard it had been to get to, to the point... To get pl- to the point that you are. Where, where they could invite their dad to the World Series and they, they could that's reunite with him, you know? And that's the beauty of sports. Right, Going and right that's the beauty it. of sports is, like, all these athletes, like, sure, they have millions of dollars, but, like, you, you see Kevin Love now talking about depression, depression and anxiety. And, and, and DeMar DeRozan right. as well, too. Everyone still has those, has those same problems. They're, just, they're just amplified on a different level. When you, when you really stop and think about it, I don't, I, I hate, and I hate reading comment sections for that exact reason because, like I said, people tend to forget that athletes are also humans. When you think about it, from, from a time you're 13 years old and, and people realize that you are a superior talent, Cameras are always in your face. People are always in your face. How are people not supposed to... How do you expect these people not to be suffering from some type of mental illness in certain in certain instances? Dude, how I would have you, so much... My anxiety would be running dude, wild. Dude, I already have a lot of anxiety just Who from, does it? From, from <laughs> just work? Be, just from right. being in New York. Exactly. You, you come from Boston, so I know I can only imagine you being a Boston guy having to transition to a bigger city like New York. Totally, yeah. The anxiety is probably I 10 mean, times. Like, when I moved here two years ago, it was, like, pretty overwhelming. There's mm-hmm. just so much stuff going on. There's a lot going and, on. And, and I always dreamed of living in New York City, and so, like, to a certain extent... Until was, you get here, you I was, I was mentally prepared, but living in New York is very different from being a tourist here. And I'd been here, you know, millions of times, not millions of times, like a lot, a lot. Often enough. Up. Yeah. Often you know, enough. multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. And it was still hard. And, and so I just can't even imagine what it must be like for someone like LeBron James, who's like, who's been famous since he was 16 years old. Someone even now, just, you know, someone like LeBron James Jr. or Zion Williamson, like they've had these cameras shoved in their faces mm-hmm. since, since they were, were a young age. Since they were like 16, 17. Think about Zion Williamson. Did you get a chance to watch the Duke game the other dude, night? Dude, he's legit. Boy. That dude is legit. That kid is, yo, he's it. Right. Yo, I don't, I, it's only one game. It's too early to call it. But realistically speaking, I don't, I don't see the Duke team losing. I don't see the Duke team losing. That, that team it. is so stacked. That I mean, people, stacked. people forget about Cam Reddish on that team. Right. Cam Reddish was the number three prospect coming out of high school. And on his team, he has the ability to be a knockdown shooter. Right. And, and he is, he's, he can be the JJ Reddick of Duke. And of this Duke. dude, and this dude could have been the number one option on 95% of the, 95% of the top, like 50 teams in the country. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy. I don't even understand how, how a team... Zion isn't even the best do. player on his team. I'm about to say, is, RJ Barrett's the best player. And I'm, yeah. re- I'm really hoping the Knicks lose out for the rest of the season so we can get a top three pick. And it's crazy The Celtics could get that Kings pick, too, you know. Wait, when's... Um, who's, oh, they got right. the They got the pick swap because of the Markel Fultz trade. Danny Ainge. So the Celtics could end up with... Uh, Danny Ainge is a bad motherfucker. Dude... I would. I don't understand why anyone still trades. I don't understand, yo. If Danny Ainge is calling me, I'm putting my phone right back down. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not answering the phone. Yeah. If Danny Ainge is calling me, wow, they were able to finesse the Kings pick. I forgot about that. Yeah, but the Knicks situation is very interesting because you know you you have a situation where everyone is talking about whether or not Kevin Durant can come to New York. People mm-hmm. are talking about. Uh, you know Frank Nealakina and Kristaps Porzingis and Kevin Knox like. 
they've got a pretty good young core. Nah, right now we do have a pretty, we have a great young. Oh, I'm not gonna just James Dolan is a, the worst, obviously. Yeah, clearly. But we have a, we have a great young core. But my, I'm, I'm happy because you could tell that David Fizdale really came in and changed the entire culture of the team, and everybody has bought into that. I think Fizdale's legit. Fizdale's legit. That's a fact. And he and and he, everybody in New York loves him. The New York media, the New York fans, everybody. He's loves He's very him. media friendly. So they're gonna. They, so I feel like. I don't want to gas myself again. It's, I've gone, I've gone <laughs> no, through go this many it. times. No, but it's do, like, it. do it. I feel like we're actually, we might, for the first time in a long time, we might actually take a chance and have a coach for a good five seasons. Right. Which hasn't happened in New York in forever. Forever. Imagine how different things would be if Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr had, got, had, had decided had, to come to New York. Right. His Golden, State, Golden, so State, Golden State probably wouldn't even have all them championships. It, it, I mean, like, it, I mean, you still have Steph Curry. You still have Steph Curry and, and, and Clay Thompson, Thompson and stuff Clay like Thompson. that. However, but, but they, they probably don't reach the ceiling that they do. That's, that's what I mean. They don't I reach think, that same I, ceiling I think, without I think Steve Kerr. Kerr did such a great job when he came in, and you saw this in the difference immediately when Mark Jackson left, mm -hmm. is that he created a system that maximized the strength of all those guys. Yeah, because Mark Jackson was running a situation that was heavy on ISO, heavy on posting up, and it's just like, yo, listen, you don't have the that's personnel for that. Exactly. Also, and, and that game you have the, is you starting have two, to You have two, maybe the two best three-point shooters of all time. What are you doing? Two of the top... Two of the top five. Right. Exactly. Two of the top five. Two of the three of the top ten shooters of all time. And now you have down. Kevin Durant. Now you have Kevin Durant added to that. But I don't think honestly honestly speaking, as a Knicks fan, the Knicks fan in me is like, yo, Kevin Durant, pull up. But realistically speaking, if you have the opportunity to continuously win championships in a situation like Golden State, why would you want to leave that? And now people pose an argument where it's like, listen, he can come to New York, he can be the first player to, to bring New York a championship and he'll be loved forever. But it's just like I don't think a lot of NBA free agents are looking at New York the same way because you can go to any franchise and get paid. You can go to any franchise. Kevin, and get if it doesn't matter what market Kevin Durant, the market exactly the market does not Giannis, matter. Giannis is in Milwaukee. And he's getting a single. Exactly. Speaker. Social media, these phones, the internet, it it broke it's down all though. the married, all the market barriers. But the thing is, though, like. When people go out to LA or people come to New York, there's mm -hmm. just more opportunities to be in front of cameras. That and there's other business opportunities. Hence totally, why LeBron's totally. in LA right now. Totally. And so, like, I don't think Kevin Durant coming to New York is that unrealistic because I think don't gas me, don't gas me. Well, Katie is someone. Katie is someone who has always cared about the public perception of how people view him and what his legacy that's is. Very true. And that's why he came to Golden State in the, in first, the first place. place. He wanted to get better at basketball, and he also wanted to win championships because he thought that rings equal immortality. Mm -hmm. And Clearly, in the case of KD, people don't view it that way no, because people think he's just piggybacking off of Steph and Clay. I don't take any fault in Kevin Durant going out to Golden State. I, I, I faulted him at first. I, now I understand why he did it, but at first I was a little taken back. I, I personally, like, yeah, for me, like I, I just have never faulted KD because, like, I understand, uh, like, kind of why he did that and mm -hmm. and and why uh, the public perception of championships and the discussion around MJ and LeBron, why that would prompt him to go to a place that would give him the best chance to win rings, mm -hmm. but. When you when you think about the fact that he cares about all of that and is trying to, you know, you, you listen to him on the Bill Simmons podcast and he, he talks about how he doesn't want to listen to people anymore. Uh, and well, he has all right to. I never understood why you're a millionaire but as good he, as you are. But he clearly still does. Feeding into it. And so because I think that people, he does care about that. I think he he's going to end up going to a place. I don't think he's going to end up in Golden State for the rest of his no, career. No, of course not. Of I think, course not. He, I think he's going to have to go to a place that... He he can lead a, a, a try at least try to lead a team by himself to a championship or at least with him as the main piece and what better just, just to prove his, what his, what his, better his, stage his to do that than New York and like I said it sounds great I just don't want to believe it yet I don't want to believe it I think until totally fair. I don't want to believe it until July fourth when he signs a deal with New York and, and then we'll move from there but let's let's talk about Boston for a little bit because totally. you're, you're a Boston guy yeah. and what a great situation to be in in, Bo in Boston you have a situation where you have too much talent. Yeah. Too much talent. Do you think the team will be able to figure it out enough to figure it out in time to get to the conference finals or to get well they get to the conference finals? Well, well, I can guarantee that. But to get to the finals at least and, and face a Golden State? Well, I think the thing that Boston started off slow so far this year, but I think the thing that people forget is that they started off slow last year too. Mm -hmm. Especially after Hayward went down. Exactly. And so And they had at that time uh Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum weren't as experienced exactly. as they are now. Sure. Like a year later. And the thing that I think is Something that, that the media does that is especially kind of wrong in terms of predicting is that people always expect young players to take the next step. and that's Right not away. And I always say it takes a good five to five, and four not, to five seasons for a player to come to his how, own. That's not necessarily how development works. It's it's more of a up and down roller coaster. And so Jason mm -hmm. Tatum is, is kind of, quote unquote, struggling a little bit in the early part of the season. But it's because they're... They're incorporating in Gordon Hayward, who's still getting his legs under him. Mm -hmm. Kyrie's coming off a big knee in injury. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have five potential all-star talents in the starting lineup. You have to distribute the ball some way, and, and they're probably still figuring things out. So I just look at the head of the 
at the at the head of the Celtics, and that's Brad, Brad Stevens, Stevens and, and Danny, Danny Ainge. They and, got they got us in the control. And muscle. for me, it's like there's no reason to, as a Celtics fan, there's no reason to be worried about that until you have a great problem on your hands. You have too much talent. Yeah, until you don't want to have too much talent. Exactly. People have been talking about whether or not Terry Rozier wants to get traded. He could probably start on a lot of other basketball teams, and uh, I think at least for now, people just want to win. And for now, at least, and he's still in the early part of his career, so I feel like he would probably want to stay there, try to win. Try to get the opportunity to win now, and once he does win, or once he does get to the finals and get more experience under his belt, then he'll go to another franchise, try to lead that team in some way to a championship, or be the second or third option on on, a, on, a, on another team because he can. He has the talent to do right, it. Right, right. So I mean, I, I I think that's a good point. I think it's just we, you. We just have to wait and see. I think people take these early season results to way too, too seriously. Too it's only ten games in. You only people take the in. preseason way too seriously. <laughs> right, right. My my only my only thing with um with Boston is the only issue that I could possibly we see is ego right would every would everybody be able to suppress their ego and and do what's best for the team i think i think with brad stevens at the helm they will i think i think stevens is really underrated in his ability to manage personalities and i think that once i mean once things begin to gel together i think Mm -hmm. people i think everyone in boston understands that they at least have an outside shot of challenging golden state if they both get to the finals and if they're able to even like get in uh you have a shot at the championship, which is crazy. And, and imagine the legacy of this team if they were able to knock down the KD Steph Warriors. Like that would be crazy. crazy. Ironically, at the beginning of the season, I had I predicted Boston would win. I'm I'm gonna still stand on that. I'm gonna still stand on it. Still very early in the season, but that would be a crazy, crazy story. To I think I think the Warriors are gonna win. But regardless, like imagine the legacy of the team that would that that would uh, of of a team that would beat the warriors with and on Katie. top of that this is early this is early too right. this is only the first this is only the second season that this team is the way it is totally if you want to get technical it's really the first cuz golden hay wasn't there for the entire first season right this and and i don't think people imagine jason tatum to be this good this early i didn't I know Philly. I know every time Philly sees Jason Tatum, uh, Jason Tatum Holland, they shiver. Yeah, <laughs> people also. Pe- this is this is one of my biggest Celtics vendettas. Is uh, is people fucking sleep on Al Horford? Al Horford is yeah. really fucking good at basketball. Because you know what it is. We, we live in a society now, and uh, Bleach Report's a little bit to blame because everybody always looks for the highlight play. How's the highlights, man? Everybody Shout always out to my boy the, Omar. Everybody always looks for the highlight play. So it's like when you see when you see a guy like Jason, not Jason. When you see a guy like Al Horford who's willing to do all the dirty work for the yeah. team and be that glue guy. He's not as as um, he doesn't do anything as, flashy, as but he he sets all the screens. He makes always makes the right pass. He's always makes in the all right the space. right reads, grabs all the important always, rebounds. Always hits the right. Always hits the open three. He led the NBA in three point percentage last year. Nobody talks about that. Yeah, nobody talks, nobody about, talks that. about that. Al Horford is 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 so similar to Draymond Green in the way he plays basketball. He can guard all five positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Al's a little bit taller and less athletic than I, and stronger than than. Mm-hmm. Draymond is, but he, he's a better three point shooter, and people. But he's a more consistent shooter, period. Right, and people and people consistently don't talk about how fucking good Al Horford is because he doesn't show up in highlights. That's a fact. I mean, if worse comes to worse, that's why guys, I love a guy like Paul Millsap too. You know, yeah, I'm, if Paul, Paul Millsap is a hell of a player as well. He, the, the boys out there in Denver have been balling as well too. They, they I'm heading out there next week to write a story on him. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, that's that's what game are you going to? Uh, I'll be at the Rockets game and then the game two days after that. I oh, the Rockets. Have I, th- been I think struggling. I think I think it's the Pelicans. Maybe they're playing. The Rockets. Have, the Rockets and the Pelicans have been struggling. I'm, I'm a little surprised that the Pelicans have been struggling because I I'm a little annoyed with Anthony Davis with his injuries at this point, and I always my I'm always I always subscribe to the theory that Dude, but Anthony Davis when he's on when he's on he's on at the end of the last season he he put he was in a mode at the he's end in of the last su- season where it was just like. He was going. He was running through everything with ease. Right. He was bodying everybody. He's just so with athletic. Ease. He's, he's just, not. Not only is he athletic, but his body. He's, he's so long. He's athletic, right. like you said. There's nothing on the floor that he can't do. He could defend all five positions. He could score anywhere on the floor. He could put the ball on the floor and get past any power forward. He could play with his back towards the totally. basket, which is the lowest art in the NBA now. Totally. So it's just like Anthony Davis is a hell of a player, and he was on between him, Kawhi. And Steph right now, they're in my top three as far as MVP early MVP race. And it's just like if the Pelicans can't don't figure it out in time, what do you do? You have a guy like Anthony Davis on that roster. You got to do everything in your power to figure it out. So Especially that keep that's him. the smallest media market in the NBA. In the NBA, yes, and the smallest not the smallest in media market and the smallest in, in um in worth. Totally lowest in worth, I should say. Yeah, I mean it's it's New Orleans needs to do everything humanly possible to maximize their time with. They're, they're a lot more focused on the Saints right now. Yeah. Which, which is understandable. Which but is totally understandable. You have a generational talent in Anthony Davis. You cannot. You cannot. I think people that. around the NBA, even even as as highly as people praise Anthony Davis, people still sleep on him because he plays in a market that nobody watches. That nobody watches. 
That's the fact. I feel like if only only for a basketball junkie would you sit down and watch. Totally, a, he's a he's Phoenix, he's like New Orleans game. He's like an hipster NBA nerd's <laughs> favorite basketball player. Nah, that's a fact. That's definitely a fact. Let's move. Let's keep it in the Western Conference a little bit. How do you feel about the situation going on in Minnesota? Do you, do you feel like they should keep Jimmy Butler? Do you feel like they should trade him? What do you think is going on with that? I think you have to trade Jimmy Butler. I agree. I don't understand how he's still there. I agree. Because at the end of the day, Butler's great. He's an he's a top fifteen, top twenty player in the NBA. Carl Anthony Towns is the centerpiece there. He's Carl Anthony Towns. Carl Anthony he Towns, should be the centerpiece there. His his the way his struggles in the playoffs seem to be carrying over this into this season. But I'm he's not still sure young. He's people still forget. very young. This is he, his third season in the he's league. He's still young. There, it wasn't that long ago that people were asking, "Do you take Cat or do you take Anthony Davis?" Right. And people were a lot of people were saying Cat just even before last season. Mm-hmm. Um. And and so you got to give him a chance to develop. You can't have if if Jimmy Butler is going to patronize Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, and you know, I I respect I kind of I respect kind of the route that he's taken in terms. Jimmy of, Butler, you mean or Carl? Uh, Jimmy Butler, in terms in terms of Jimmy trying to maximize his situation and mm-hmm. and use as much leverage as he can to to do whatever do do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. I understand why Jimmy did what he did at that practice. I do, but I do as well. But when you're looking after the best long term concerns of the franchise, you want to be building around Cat and want to be make sure that he's in the best position to grow as a leader. Because that's not what he is right now. He's not an alpha dog right now. Mm-hmm. I, now, I understand, like I said, I understand why Jimmy Butler did what he did, but he still went about it the wrong way. In my opinion, he still went about it the wrong way. He's acting like a brat right now. I think... You I haven't think, done much. In, granted, you're one of the better two-way players in the league, but you haven't proven much as far as winning goes. I think he definitely carries himself like someone who's won a championship. And exactly. He, and he hasn't. And he has no right to do that because you haven't won a championship yet. Relax. But at the same time, he kind of proved his point at the practice when nobody stood up to him. He did, but however, however, apparently... If you're talking about him just sheer cursing everybody out in the practice, that's one thing. But if you're talking about... It's not just cursing him out, though. Or the fact that he beat the team, the uh, the starters with the bench. Right. That shit happens all the time in NBA practices. No, but it's all it's also about, like, even though he was talking shit to everyone, Cat or Wiggins both didn't stand up to him. They... they they like that, And that's what that's J- Jimmy's main point was, was that I'm playing with these guys who everyone says should be the next generation of superstars, but they don't have the alpha dog mentality, and I'm going to show you guys the problem with that and exactly how that problem manifests itself. That brings up an interesting point because now it's like when you think about it, a lot of these young players come from the come from the uh, the AAU days where everything is handed to them. So there's no reason for them to ever be that alpha dog or be that big personality on the team. And and, and throughout the NBA history, which the, is the honest- biggest superstars have always been those big, over exaggerated alpha dog personalities. And it's like you're starting to think, will that same stereotypical big alpha dog superstar maintain? Throughout the NBA, or would it change to a, to a point where it's like, I, right, I'm very talented. I'm not the most outspoken person, but my talent speaks for itself. So I don't have to be that big alpha dog personality. On well, the floor I think the problem. The I think the problem in Minnesota is that like Towns isn't even doing that, and like he he's not even doing the leading by example thing. So like, there's so many different ways you can be a leader in the NBA. You have the Kobe Bryant like in your face. I'm gonna beat the living shit out of you, <laughs> right. Kind of way, which is personally not the kind of leadership I would want to see out of my team superstar, but you mm-hmm. know it is what it or is. Or you got the Dirk Nowitzki lead by example. I'm right. in the gym early every day. I'm working on my game. Or Tim Duncan as well. I'm in right. the gym early working on my day. There's game. that. I'm in the gym late at night. I'm following what the coach is telling me to do. It. I'm just leading by example, like you said. Or you have Michael Jordan who like lit a fire under everyone's ass. And LeBron does the same thing too. Is like he everything LeBron says in the media is he's like a politician. Everything everything is very. Oh boy, LeBron's LeBron's such a cerebral guy. Everything is very, very deliberate in what he tells the media, who he tells it to, mm-hmm. why he says something, and that's how he lights fires. That's how he, that's how he sends his messages. I don't think LeBron's the type of guy. Granted, I've never been in a practice with LeBron, but I don't think LeBron's the type of guy that's going to get in your face, right, and and bark you down and shout you down and, and demean you like the way Jimmy Butler's been behaving to his teammates in Minnesota. But like you said, he finds his way to get his message across either through the media or through other channels. And so I think that Jim, yeah, and I think so. I think that Jimmy's overall point was just that Towns is none of those things. Mm-hmm. He's not even a lead well, by example well, he's guy. Young. So he's young. You listen. He's young. You pull him to the side and you say, "Listen, young boy, young fella, you are very talented. I see that. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do differently." Now I can't tell you whether or not he did that because I wasn't there. Right. And so we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know the full story. story. You're right. For me, it's just like I can't even. I, I just can't even imagine he would take that step without having done that already. Like he, they've been together for. I'd hope not. I would hope not. I would hope not. You know, it's already been a year. They've already been together for more than a year. When you think about it, though, watching Minnesota over the last, over this last season and a half, last season and this part of the season so far, Towns always looked pretty uncomfortable. By the time, by the time that your brother came over, he looked really uncomfortable. So yeah, and and I think you have to also kind of take into consideration the fact the the difference 
in detail in their backgrounds because Towns was the number one overall pick and has been good for his entire life. Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler was end of the first round and had to work Worked his, his ass off. And so if you're Jimmy Butler, you probably look at Carl Anthony Towns and you're like, I was the 20-something pick in the in the draft. You were the number one overall pick. Why the fuck am I working harder than you harder are? Harder than you, word. When you're more talented than I am. Word. And same, same, and that same probably give yourself right. for Aaron, um, Andrew Wiggins. I think his especially, beef is more so with Andrew Wiggins, Especially Wiggins. I think his beef oh, is man. more so with Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. I mean, like, I, 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 if you put yourself in Jimmy Butler's shoes, I just, like, don't understand how you couldn't be angry with those guys if you were just completely outworking them That's despite the fact that like they're I said, 100% so much more talented. But it's just, I just feel like you, you can't, Go sit down with Rachel Nichols and talk about your teammates. That was that that's was cra- that's that was crazy. some next, that was some next level planning shit. What the fuck is what is that? <laughs> what he, type of shit is he's, that? He's maximizing a situation. And on the top of that, Tom Thibodeau's gotten to a point where now he's asking for a little bit too much for Jimmy Butler. He tried to get what four four first rounders from from Houston to get Jimmy Butler. I mean, he's he's trying to do his job too. You know, true, true. He's trying to he's trying to save his ass as well too. Yeah. Me personally, honestly, if I was Minnesota, I would have started by firing Tom Thibodeau because mm-hmm. I personally feel like he always runs the superstars into the ground. If you look at the minute dis- minutes distri- distribution from last night's game, the, f- the starting five played way more minutes than even the sixth, seventh, eighth guy on the bench. And I just yeah. feel like if you if you want to win a championship, if you got to understand that the season, not only is it 82 games, but there's a playoffs that you have to go through as well too. And you have to find a way to conserve your star players' yeah. bodies. It's interesting. I actually I had a chance to talk to Brian Scalabrini about Tom Thibodeau when he played under him in Boston in and Boston. Chicago, mm-hmm. and he said he, you know, I I just kind of want to get a sense from people who had played for for Tibbs about whether or not that narrative of him running players in the ground is true. And Scalabrini said that it wasn't. He felt like a lot of the stars on his teams on those teams never felt like overtired at the end of the season, mm-hmm. and so like. I kind of have to go on that word because, like, Cause I don't, he actually played. I don't understand he, that because he played for Thib, for Tibbs, but at the end of the day, like, nah, the, you can't tell me I'm defin- not watching that. Right? The definition, <laughs> the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And at the end of the day, Tibbs is kind of doing the same thing over and over again, and, and expecting exactly. And, he's and not, not getting any different, different results. results. That's a fact. That's a fact. How do you feel about this current situation in the Lakers? Oh man, um, very interesting times over there in, in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, I don't like. That team is really talented. Like they've got a really lot of really good young talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ingram is is really I think has a chance to be a very very good basketball player. How good? What's the ceiling for Ingram in your opinion? I th- well, I think he has the chance to be like a end of the bench all star if he fulfill, if he actually fulfills all of his potential. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he does that is very much up for debate. An end of the bench all star. <laughs> yeah, like I've heard that term. I'm like a guy who's like barely makes the all star team. You yeah, know, yeah. That, so, so, some literally like Al Horford, who's mm-hmm. like one of the literally the last guy chosen in the NBA All Star draft. You I, know, I, I see Brandon Ingram being like a twenty three five and four player. Yeah, I think he has the. Ch- he's he could be like a, a very good. He's got second so much option. length. He's he's a he's a smart basketball player. He's got a good shot. It's just like. It's just gonna take time for him to just develop. It's and just like he's built like the like a like one of those like wavy guys at the car dealership, you know. <laughs> like, now nah, he is he he does have a very like skinny I, built like I'm frame. I'm like five seven mm-hmm. five eight and I think I weigh the exact same. I weigh one fifty five and I think I weigh the exact same amount as Brandon Ingram. <laughs> nah, that's a fact. I mean, if I I don't know, I feel like if if I'm Los Angeles, I probably would have taken the opportunity to trade him. Mm-hmm. I probably would have got rid of him. I was watching, ironically, I was watching first take as much as I hate watching the debate shows. I was watching first take the other day. And Stephen A. brought up a valid point. He said, you look at the situation in Washington, it's very dysfunctional over there in Washington. Yeah. If I'm Los Angeles, I'm getting on the phone and I'm calling Washington and trying to work out a deal so that we can get Washington's Bradley Bill. Washington's a fucking Bill. mess. Washington's a mess. They need to blow it up. Yeah. They need to blow it up. But if I'm Lakers, I'm trying to get a good go after a guy like Bradley Bill because they don't have a knockdown shooter. And LeBron needs to play around shooters. And when you have two guys in Rondo and Lonzo Ball who are past first point guards, you need knockdown shooters. Yeah. They don't really, yeah. I mean, I the closest thing they have to that is what Josh Hart right now. Yeah, and and Josh Hart's a. I I would keep Josh Hart though. I like him off the bench. Yeah, I like him off the bench. He's, he's a really good six guy. man. Yeah, exactly. But not he's not my go to. And Kuzma shooter. is a knockdown shooter. Oh yeah, Kuzma's not go. I'm Kuzma's, Kuzma's a slash Kuzma's wing. Yeah, Kuzma's ready. Yeah, Kuzma's Kuz, ready. Kuzma's good. He's really good. Kuzma's I, part of the reason why I feel like the NBA should put a um a limit, not a limit, but I feel like they should force players to stay a little longer because I feel like once players stay a good. Two, three, four years—they come out to be way better rookies. And well, way better I, I think you've seen—I think you've seen that with a number of guys over the last few years. Mm-hmm. It's just like—I uh, mean, Kuz, Kuzma's probably the primary example of that. Is like his game wasn't ready, and so he took some more time at Utah to to refine his game. I, mm-hmm. I actually did a story on him last year during the preseason, and it was just like he believed in himself, and he just like knew he needed to do more work. In yeah, I, I think one of the reasons why the Lakers took him is because he said during his, uh, his 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 meetings and um, during the draft combine, he was very very confident. 
And as you can see, this conference that dude is really that ready. dude is he's supremely good. confident. I can tell you that, having talked to him literally just once on the phone, that he's very, very confident. He's very understated, but he's very confident. That's great. I, I just feel like I don't know. It's a weird situation in LA right now. I, I personally feel like LeBron is not fully focused on basketball right now. And I think part of LeBron feels like he thought a superstar was, was going to meet him there this offseason. That didn't happen. And when that didn't happen, now he has to figure out. You still got time this season for another superstar to you come still, You still do. You still do. But do you think the Lakers would, would want to pull, pull the trigger and make a trade? I mean. LeBron teams always find a way to, you know, to, um, to, to make a trade mid-season and acquire more players. But when you go to an organization like Los Angeles, who's used to running things differently, you think they'll be able to oblige and say, all right, fuck it, we'll make another trade to, to make LeBron happy. Magic Johnson did this thing a couple weeks ago where he guaranteed on TV that the Lakers were going to get another superstar, and the last time he did that, he got LeBron. You're right. And so, but who 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 you think would want to come, or who you think would go in free agency? I wouldn't be surprised if Anthony Davis won, especially with him switching over to, to clutch. clutch. Yeah, clutch that was now. that was big. That yeah. was, a lot of people pay attention to that. He definitely. I mean, Bradley, Bradley Beal could be someone who could go over there. Like, there's it's it's LeBron. Who doesn't want to play in Le- with LeBron no, in LA? But yo, you know what's crazy? A lot of guys don't want to play with LeBron anymore. I feel like think about it like this. You have guys like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love who have relationships with um, with a lot of the younger players in the league, a lot of the younger yeah. superstars. And they saw the media circus that Cleveland turned into while LeBron was there. They saw the entire circus that the city of Cleveland turned into. Yeah, but, so, then you, but you also see, on the flip side, someone like J.R. Smith really maximizes potential. Someone, I mean, LeBron makes people around him better. But that's only for players who are—that's for role players. Totally. I'm talking specifically about star talent. Would they want—they're not so quick to want to go play with LeBron because— Nobody, I feel like a lot of people don't want to be under LeBron's shadow anymore. That's fair. Part of the reason why Paul George didn't go, which is still baffling to me why he didn't want to go to Los Angeles. And I, as, and when I saw that happen, when because I Because he's him, still in Russ's shadow in OKC. <laughs> Listen, when I saw him- I think him, Paul George is one of the most overrated players in basketball. But that's for un- un- Unfortunately, I'm starting, to, I'm starting to think that as well, too. Yeah. I'm starting to think. I, he never really regained the same talent athleticism that he was prior to that leg injury in, um, in the, not the Olympics, that was the- uh, one of the FIBA world Yeah, games. it was. I mean, like, I think Paul George is a really good basketball player, and he's a great, really good two way player. Still one of the top five two way yeah, players. Yeah, but he, I think that his the impact that he he brings to a team is you can find that with a bunch of other uh, in in a bunch of other different superstars of his uh, of his caliber. Like, I don't I think he, like the way that people talk talked about Paul George maybe two or three years ago. I think is just like completely over now. I think he's just a different guy now. Yeah, he's come, it's a different type of different part of his career that he's going. He's definitely into. not as explosive as he used to be. Definitely not, and he's right now he's also nursing nursing a, um, a nerve injury in his left leg, so that's something that he has to yeah. deal with as well this year too. But um, overall, I must say I'm very I'm very happy with the way the league's going. There's a lot of talent in the league. Yeah, it's really and, fun. And it's a really every, fun on every given night, any given night you can turn on and go on NBA League Pass and five, five, find five. That's different the best part about watch. basketball is is like you you turn on you turn on league, like you said you turn on League Pass and ju- there's just always a good game to watch. Or there's someone interesting playing, you know, like Luke Luke and Dallas or like Jeremy Lin went off for like 19 20 points a couple nights ago. Mm-hmm. Like you just have every single night there's always something there's always some, something happening. Nobody yeah. expected Jamal Murray to go off for 48. Yeah, nobody expected Derrick Rose to go off for for, for 50. And yeah. Derrick has been playing even last night he had what seven threes a franchise record drop 31 points. Yeah, it's like there's always so something interesting. There's always happening. something interesting in basketball, but I don't want to keep you too long. Time yeah. starting to time starting around. I know you have to run. Yeah. June this was great. We got to do this again, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. You coming out. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No doubt anytime, man.